you're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to learn more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com, where we have past podcasts, blogs, and a couple items for sale. So check us out, beardedtheologians.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy this week's show. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And today we have uh, we have a very special guest with us. We have uh, Brad Lyons, who is the president and publisher of Chalice Press. Brad, thanks for being with us this morning. That's my it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, certainly. Um, we we're so glad that you're here with us. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about a little bit about yourself? You know who you sure. are, where you're from, what you do. Sure. Um, I am. I am the president and publisher at Chalice Press, which is the publishing house associated with Christian Church Disciples of Christ, one of the smaller mainline denominations that basically focuses across the Midwest and the Great Plains. Uh, and I've been in this job for almost 12 years. Prior to that, I was doing leadership development with colleges, universities, seminaries, seminarians, that kind of thing. Uh, but before that, I was a journalist. And uh, I've been writing since I was in fifth grade. I grew up in Edmond, Oklahoma, a suburb of Oklahoma City. Went to journalism school, uh, was a journalist for several years, covered the Oklahoma City bombing uh, and some other big events like that. Um, and as life does, you, you know, you, your career evolves into new things. And uh, if you had told me in 1996, when I was a reporter at the Edmund Evening Sun, that I would someday run a Christian publishing house, I would not have believed you. And I, I might have taken a swing at you. Uh, it didn't make any sense at the time. Um but here I am. It's been a weird journey, but uh, one that I have enjoyed so much. And I've, I've made such great connections and friends and learned so much from so many wise people that uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's so, awesome. Uh, oh, go ahead, Matt. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, I, Matt and I have a similar experience and we, we didn't you know, lay in bed at night thinking we were going to be pastors. And so <laughs> had somebody come and told us that at a young age, you'd be like, what are you talking about? Right. Like yeah. totally identify with, I, I don't know how I got here, but here we are. Right. And I yeah. love it. Uh, yeah. It's awesome. It's it's amazing how that, that talking head song, well, how did I get here? <laughs> resonates more and more the older you get. When I first heard that, when I was, you know, in my teens, it didn't make any sense. I didn't realize that song wasn't for me just yet. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so um, you're definitely in the uh, publishing world. Uh, and we both, obviously, if you look behind it, both of us, we both like books. Uh, I appreciate and, those magnificent bookshelves <laughs> behind both of you. <laughs> yes. Uh, as someone who went to uh, Phillips Theological Seminary, I uh, have a real strong understanding of Chalice Press. As a lot of the books that I had to buy for a seminary came from uh, the press. Um, you know, as as you've had to uh, deal with some of the stresses of what's going on with uh, Christian publishing and um, the adapt, the adapting that has have to happen. Um, what have you learned and, you know, what are some things you'd like to share with us? Oh goodness. How much time do you have? Um, you know, part what I have been saying for a long time is that Chalice Press is a Christian strike one publisher strike two. Uh, they are, those two areas are both, areas where our particular brand of Christianity, which is a progressive Christian, welcoming, affirming, um, pushing up against the evangelical line, 
that has been a real challenge over the last 30, 40 years for a variety of reasons. Uh, part of that's that the, that the church continues to contract in numerous ways. Um, and so that, I mean, that's been at play our whole lives, right? Uh, the church peaked just before I was born. Um, so in terms of membership. So reflecting on that, my, my predecessor began the process of creating a publishing house that would be able to stand on its own without depending on the denomination. You know, the disciples were millions of members uh, years ago. We're now down in the neighborhood of 300 to 400,000, depending on which page you're looking at on the internet any given day. And so we have had to build a, a new platform for ourselves and one that advocates for uh, our particular brand of Christianity um, in a marketplace that does not tolerate that kind of Christianity all that easily. And so it's been an interesting uh, challenge ever since the day I walked in the door. Uh, and then there's this thing called Amazon uh, that you know, 20, 25 years ago began the process of completely uprooting the publishing system as, as it existed uh, in the late 1990s. And there are some that say Amazon wants to kill publishers. I'm not sure that they're going that far, but they're sure not helping. Uh, Amazon has, has, through their business model, made it uh, much more challenging for publishers to compete as their own individual retail opportunities. It made it much more difficult to support independent bookstores uh, and even some of the large ones. I mean, moment of silence here for Borders. Um, you know, I loved, I was a Borders person as opposed to a Barnes & Noble person back in, you know, in 2011, but, you know, I don't know what Borders is now and it, near, nearby it's an Aldi. Uh, but anyhow, um, I, I, I look, I, but now I did, nowadays I'm, I'm buying from independent bookstores where I can to support local businesses. I've, I've gained a real appreciation for local business as I do this. Um, you know, the, the local business isn't able to work economically with the kind of clout that a larger store can. And, you know, I, I remember when I got out of college working in a small town in Oklahoma, uh, I would drive by what used to be the Walmart. And then they moved to a new facility that I think was just outside the city limits so they could get away from sales tax. Mm -hmm. You know, small, small businesses can't do that. Um, and you know, we have to rely on our customers and treat them extremely well and hope that they will decide to keep shopping with us, even if it costs them a buck 50 a purchase. Because you know, we, we rely on those individual customers shopping local with us. We're your local denominational publishing house. So um, you know, today we record this on an Amazon Prime day. Um, and you know, I, I saw an ad, I saw what, so it was a news article. It felt like an ad to me on last night's local St. Louis news. Uh, and I was like, oh, Amazon, yeah, you really need the advertising on my local news. <laughs> People know everything about you. And so, you know, later today, I will probably be able to click over onto their website and find some of our stuff discounted to points that Chalice Press can't, can't compete with. Uh, and that's, that's just part of the nature of American capitalism. I don't have to like it, but, um, you know, and we, we do Chalice Prime Days as best we can, but it's hard to compete with a behemoth like Amazon or any of these other really large companies that um, you know are able to say send their CEOs into space. We're not going to do that. I'm not going right. to go to space. Um, <laughs> I would like to, but Chalice <laughs> Chalice isn't going to write that check. <laughs> right. So it's a public. It's a it's a challenging area of Christian publishing. Um, 
you know, back to the Christianity part of it, you know, if you walk into your local bookstore, let's go with a Barnes and Noble because they've got a nice national reach. Or if you go to one at your local airport, you're going to see evangelicals and probably Catholics, depending on, you know, what your marketplace is. Here in St. Louis, lots of evangelicals, lots of Catholics. And it's hard to find anything else, really, because uh, the, those two denominational, well, denomination-like substances have done a great job of building platforms for their authors and creating the habit of looking to the written word for inspiration and affirmation. Um, and that's not something that mainline Protestants, Protestants have done so well. And so that makes it a real challenge for us to get our stuff on the shelf to Barnes and Noble. Um, also, some of the people that you would recognize, I won't, I won't name names, but if you think about, you know, who do you see on TV? Who do you hear on the radio? Who's doing podcasts? Uh, who owns former basketball arenas? You know who I'm thinking of. Um, you know, they have multi-million dollar marketing operations backing up their books. We don't. Um, they're playing the publishing book selling game at a level that um, that progressive Christians haven't been able to reach yet because we put our money elsewhere. And that's fine. I actually affirm that. Um, but it just it's a challenge to try to take on those those big names that um, have those huge marketing machines behind them. I realized that was one long paragraph. So I'm going to take a breath here and let you all get a word in edgewise. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Um, it it brings up a couple of things. One, I see a big push here in Bozeman, Montana for that, that very thing of what you talked about, getting away from Amazon and chains and, and shopping local, right? We have mm -hmm. a lot of longstanding local, um, you know, outdoor stores, uh, there's a bookstore uh, that's been uh, right in the middle of downtown forever, uh, just a couple blocks from my office here. And I have found my church members when we do a book study, they they won't get on Amazon. They'll walk down to the bookstore and uh, have them order the book for them and pay a couple bucks more because they want to they want to support the bookstore. They they want to make sure it's there. And there's a real there's a real culture of that here in this community. Um, and they approach it as a really as a social justice issue that we're mm -hmm. going to shop local um, because we want to support the people in our community and we want to make sure we have have the books uh, that we have the stores that we want to have. And anytime a large, um, not necessarily bookstore, but it's usually outdoor sporting stores, you know, uh, <laughs> when a big, big, big chain comes in, there's real pushback on it of don't shop there. Um, they they don't they're. They're not from Montana, right? They're 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 not from here. Uh, support local, and and there's something there's something big about that. There's something really important about that, uh, especially as you look towards um, our publishing houses as opposed to Amazon and some things like that. How do we how do we do that well and support support one another in the work that we're doing, uh, but also do it in a way that that you know is hopeful and helpful and um, it, it it's interesting. Um, finding that on multiple levels of what local means. I think being in a college town enhances that. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I was in Bozeman for lunch, <laughs> driving back from Seattle this past summer and got a sense of, of how Bozeman is a, is a unique community that appreciates community. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's common for being a college town, common for being a lot of the best bookstores are in college towns. Right. Um, and, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Uh, it's it's um, it's different than anywhere else I've lived. Um, I've lived in very rural parts of Montana that Amazon was where you had to shop because there was yeah. there was there was nothing. Um, but there's there's a sense of pride in that here. And I and I find that through our publishing houses and and the things that we do on a denominational level, there's a sense of pride in what we do. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, even our podcast. Like you said, it's hard. Uh, we don't have, neither Matt or I are famous already, right? There's not a bunch of money pushing this. Um, it's hard to market and uh, put out there in, in a way that competes with folks that do have money and people pushing them from behind. And yeah, and so it, it's interesting to to look at that on all those levels and how do we how do we get our message out there? How do we get our stuff out there in a way that uh, finds the people that need to hear it, want to hear it, find it hopeful? Yeah. At the same time, I do have a great appreciation for for the publishers that when I started this job, I viewed as my rivals. But yeah. now I view them as uh, partners in a greater ministry. The The ecumenical nature of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ has, has sunk into my skull and my mindset. And I, 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 I understand and appreciate that, you know, we're, we're using Methodists and Presbyterians and, and uh, Evangelical Lutherans in our author base. And, you know, we, we, there's this fluidity back and forth among the the mainline denominational publishing houses. And we circle around a table once every year um, and, and, talk shop and that's a fun interesting conversation but we also kind of look at each other like uh, okay you we're competing for the same authors um and we're we and our audience is the same but how can we instead of looking like how can i how can i take something from them it becomes how can i work with them to share what we've got in this in to their audience as well i don't know if they feel the same for us but that's how that's where i am (laughs) (laughs) so how have you um you know, with the rise of uh, digital books, how have you kind of addressed uh, that uh, is moving? I, I'm not going to say that that's the way forward because I know more people, it seems like it's kind of shifted more back to having real books. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've I've noticed like in this context I'm in right now, a lot of my people are willing to do the digital books, which has been mind blowing to me because they're all uh, in, you know, past 50 and I'd expect them not to want to touch a Kindle, but would want to have the book. And I, mm-hmm. and I walk in with the book, uh, cause I like having the book, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how have you guys uh, wrestled with that, uh, and that change in, in kind of publishing? We've been putting out nearly everything we do, both in print and digital for probably 15 years. Um, and Right around 2015 to 17, don't quote me necessarily on that, but that it's my sense is that that's where ebook sales kind of stabilized, they plateaued as a share of the overall market. Um, and I think there are certain kinds of books that are more Kindle friendly than others. I think ours are actually more print friendly when I compare our statistics to industry statistics. I think you know, the, the, the digital Kindle kind of folks are ones who are not going to go back and read that book again. So beach reads, uh, mm-hmm. fiction, that kind of stuff. I think where we fall, we, that a lot of our stuff is good resource-driven stuff that you'll want to highlight, that you want to be able to access quickly. Um, you know, we've, we've seen that our statistics in terms of, of the print to ebook ratio is a little bit lower, a couple points lower than, than the industry average. 
um, you know, there's a sense that, oh, because you don't have to print it, this book should be so much less expensive. And that's really just not the case. Because when you're looking at a full book project, you've still got to edit it. You still got to copy edit it. You still have to do the design work and the marketing and, and printing. It's not a small piece, but it's certainly nowhere close to the majority of the expenses. Uh, and so, you know, that's one thing that Amazon did do is they devalued on, with the price tag that they put on eBooks, the value of a book. And that has damaged the industry in a number of ways. Now, do I own a Kindle? Yes. Do I use it very often? No. Um, is my Kindle older than my youngest child? Yes, uh, because I haven't felt the need to replace it. Because, um, I mean, if, if you were to look behind me, you would see a lot of paper on a shelf. Uh, I'm still a I'm still a written guy. And, um, you know, if you were to go check out my basement, you would wonder how much paper you can put in one building. <laughs> one residential building. Right. Are you all looking? Three hundred thousand books sitting in our in, in our warehouse, um, and you know that that creates a financial reality. That's an interesting reality. I mean, what has changed the way that we work as much as anything is the ability to do print on demand, and not have to necessarily have those warehouse. It's a higher price, but it also changes the the way that our inventory management works. And I could get real eggheady on that. And there's no reason to turn this into a business class, but. You know, there's, there have been technological advances that have made things a lot easier too mm -hmm. over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Are, are y'all making a push, um, to do more digital content, uh, outside of books, whether that be video or podcasts or, or things like that? We, we have been, uh, a slow process. Um, mm -hmm. we, we have announced Chalice Voices, which is our, our intent to add podcasts to what we're doing. Um. And, and that has been a slow launch and we're taking our time with that and doing it very deliberately and carefully. Um, in terms of digital content, I think that's a growing edge for us. Um, you know, we, we have been working on what our strengths are, but um, continuing to figure out ways to provide digital content. You know, to go total church geek here, the, the digital project I get, get asked about more than any other is a denominational hymnal. Um, mm. And, and I think the pandemic really put a lot of oomph behind that. Um, the denominational hymnal that we use was, was published in 1995. So let's just put that into context. Seinfeld was still new. Friends was on the air. <laughs> President Clinton was in his first term. I mean, that was a long <laughs> time ago. Um, and digital rights didn't exist, so we didn't buy them. And so you know, one of the things that I've, I'm, I'm working to do is to figure out what would a denominational hymnal look like, both in print and digital form. And that's a completely new ball for us. Um, you know, the pandemic did, as I mentioned, it, it, it changed the game a lot because we were having people ask, well, can I publish the, uh, the written version of your music in our newsletter? And we basically had a blanket permission for about a year to do that. Um, at least for the stuff that we owned. I mean, a, a denominational hymnal is an amalgamation of, of works from dozens of publishers. And so we couldn't carte blanche say, yeah, just use anything. But we were like, yeah, you can use what's chalice out there. Um, so organizations like CCLI and One License that, that create resources for those music. Well, I wish I'd own stock in them at the time um, if they were publicly traded. But uh, I think that that has changed the game for music in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, move forward. I'm not sure. 
I think I think the dust is still settling on what that's going to look like. But to me, music is where uh, digital content is going to be most revolutionized over the next few years. It's already yeah. underway. Yeah. Yeah, I know that that's the headache that Methodists faced because we were in process of actually doing some of that stuff. And then the pandemic hit. And I know that project uh, was scrapped because of, well, we didn't have the general <laughs> conference. And like, yeah. Methodists but, are, are, are facing some issues. I yes. Mean, yeah. Yeah, uh, but uh, the <laughs> it was funny because you brought you know him. when the uh, euro is printed, you know the Methodist hymnal was printed in eighty seven, so you guys got us beat on having a newer <laughs> hymnal. Uh, so I didn't realize it was that old. Gosh, I was in yeah. high school. I didn't. I, I guess my church was a slow adapter. I never got to use that one. <laughs> I still confession. I still have my a, a hymnal that I stole from my church when I was like ninth grade, because I wanted to be able to play the hymns. I, I was, I didn't realize I was, I was born this way. <laughs> I never stood a chance. I apologize, New Covenant United Methodist Church of Edmond, Oklahoma. Well, you know, they're, they're no longer United Methodist. So um, you, 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 you did them a favor. That's why I apologize to the United Methodist Church. That's right. Yes. Uh, it's funny how many that I've, collected over the years from people that had them from other like you know maybe they were in another church and they're like well you know this person died we don't know what to do with this and like i'll take it and you know it always adds to a nice story um i collected one from a uh an older hymnal actually from a church here in denver uh and it was really cool to see what the person had actually written in it um and that was Mm. kind of a cool little thing Mm. um you know as you as you talk about these pivots that you're having to make uh you know because that's kind of where things are going um you know, what do you normally hear from churches? What are what are churches needing and wanting and, you know, uh, speaking to you about? Yeah. Aside from the hymnal, which is 90% of what I hear um, from congregations, um, I think they're looking for small group discussion resources um, and things that will allow them to take on the kind of issues that they want to address, but in kind of a short term. I'm, I, I'm thinking particularly of things like six to eight to 10 to 12 week studies that you can buy the book, distribute. We know everybody reads it Sunday morning as they're eating the cereal, right? Uh, <laughs> but at least get it read. And then there's those questions at the end that help you stage an hour long discussion. Uh, one of the things that Chalice has really emphasized over the last 10 years is utility. We want our books to be useful. There are so many books out there that are great. And then you put it down and you're like, well, what now? Um, we want to make sure that when you read a chalice book, you feel equipped to do something. Um, and so we've been building those kinds of questions into a lot of the books that we do, particularly on social justice to help, um, to help readers and those small groups be able to have those conversations that, you know, change, change people one person at a time, change congregations one at a time and change communities one at a time. Um, you know, if you read a book, and you're inspired to do something, but don't know how to do it, you're far less likely to do it. Um, and so we want to make sure that you you see the, the path ahead of you, or at least one, one path, the path that the author who, you know, because you're reading this book, you are giving them credibility. The author sees this as a path forward. And you know, if, if you choose to go in your own direction, so be it, but at least you're thinking about something. Um, so, so those kinds of resources are what's most useful. Um, I think there's a there's an audience out there to update liturgies and um, certain 
and rituals isn't the word I want to use, but it's the word that's coming to mind. But but how do you update these things to reflect the change in culture, uh, particularly around gendered language? Um, you know, I know that that this is true in the disciples that that some of our some of our liturgies are very he she in terms of like wedding stuff. And so I know pastors are customizing it all the time, and I would love to grab some of that and and compile it and put it in a, in a into a um, a volume that that shows that kind of diversity. So, for instance, I I, I remarried in October of twenty one, and my three kids were uh, one high school, one college, one elementary school. So a big big range there. I had a lot of PTOs calling me. Um, but we wanted them to be a part of that ceremony somehow. And so the pastor created a liturgy that brought this family together on the stage before, you know, before God, before the witnesses there. How do we share that kind of a liturgy with others to give them the, if, if not the actual liturgy itself, but the inspiration to be able to create those kinds of things themselves? These are things that, you know, a lot of older hymnals and books of ritual don't have. Uh, it's a changing time for a changing church. Certainly. that That's huge. I, I find myself a lot with weddings, funerals, baptisms, all, all of the very wonderful things that we do through the sacraments and just getting to be in people's lives mm -hmm. and reading through some of our stuff and going, all right, it's going to be some work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do a little work on this one uh, to make it fit the people that i'm in front of and and with and and honor them as well yeah um and, and, and we yeah. get a lot of that on lgbtqia plus mm -hmm. and chalice has been very adamant that we are open and affirming and encouraging and understand that everybody is welcome at god's table who are we to mm -hmm. put a partition around god's table so we invite everybody we can and um i think that that has earned us a lot of support and a lot of followers again sounds kind of like an, an an arrogant sounding word but a lot of people who like what we do because of that and it also opens us up for some some well-intended criticism on that front is how do we how do we continue to provide resources that don't adapt yet and so mm -hmm. that's one of the things that i'm trying to figure out how we do that yeah that's that is good and sacred work i i appreciate that deeply thank you yeah i would not have it any other way honestly yeah. That is definitely something I'm always looking for is new liturgies uh, that are more inclusive or give voice to more uh, voices that we than what we're used to. And um, and that's kind of where I've definitely I think I've been looking for for quite some time, uh, especially in a new appointment uh, mm -hmm. in a space where I feel like I can do that a little more. Um, it, it's been interesting that I that's probably besides looking up new Bible studies for groups to use, that's probably one of the biggest things that I'm always looking for because uh, it's a constant week to week thing, or um, as you said, for weddings and funerals. Um, and, and definitely I remember having those conversations when I was in seminary. So like 2008 uh, with Nancy Pittman uh, about having to do that. And that was right before everything changed, you know? Um, and so that's kind of been um, always in the back of my mind. How can we adapt those that need to be adapted? Because liturgy is the work of the people. Um, and so it, you know, we don't use they and them, uh, like, you know, used to be used. And so we have to be aware of that. And, uh, even the dies and all the old language, the old English that gets used from time to time, uh, yeah. like how do we, how do we adapt that? Um, we did, a a uh, series, uh, recently on the Lord's prayer 
uh, and um, Chris Moore uh, did a really good job of talking about how he utilized uh, rewriting the Lord's Prayer for his context and how that uh, transpired uh, even when he took a new job uh, and that he brought that with him and they kind of did the same thing. And so I think that uh, having those conversations are healthy and fruitful. And if there are resources out there, definitely want to tap into those because yeah. it's really nice to be able to have that available versus having to write something last yeah. minute. Well, if, if you're talking to Nancy Pittman and Chris Moore, you're talking to the right people. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, they, they are, they're among the hundreds of people who are thinking in the bigger picture and thinking creatively and bringing, bringing new life to old scriptures. I mean, there is something to be said about the King James Bible. I'm not the one to say it. Right. <laughs> that, that is not my bag. I mean, I am a message kind of person. I love the the modern the the modern uh, translations. I mean, my for my theological upbringing was, and this boy, I am really nerding out today, and also probably <laughs> going back way back in the vault. I remember re rewording the Lord's Prayer when I was like in elementary school, trying to understand what that thing actually meant. So I've been reinterpreting scripture, gosh, for 40 years now. And um, and frankly, I think I'm ready for a nap. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, been, it's, been, it's been an interesting process to how I ended up where I am here. Um, goodness, I'm gonna have to think about that one. I just got really deep there. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I, and and it just, it goes to show that's what we, that's what we do as people, right? Anytime we dig into scripture or into oh. our traditions, right? That's, that's yeah. what we do. Um, trying to understand it and figure out, and how does that apply to us? How do we, yeah. how do we make this work? Uh, how do we understand this in a way? And that's the spirit moving within us. I mean, if, if you're still working on the same faith assumptions that you had when you were 10, yeah. okay, maybe you should re-examine those. Maybe mm -hmm. you'll be back where you started and maybe you'll land somewhere else. I think that's part of the challenge that, that, some sectors of Christianity faces that we're just not challenged to think in different ways. Mm -hmm. I I go back a lot, 20 years when I started in youth ministry and think, Oh my God, <laughs> Lord, <laughs> where did that come from? No, not what we do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think, geez. Yeah. Uh, I just, recently, we've come. <laughs> yeah. When we moved, when we moved out here from Oklahoma, there were some things that went into the trash. Cause I'm like, this is not what I, this is not who I am anymore. <laughs> this needs to be, needs to be adjusted. Um, you know, I, I, Brad, you have two books, uh, that are out and, um, uh, you know, Zach and I are in, uh, really unique, uh, places that those books could speak to. Uh, and we have people in our congregations that would probably love these books. And so do you want to talk about your uh, books? I would be delighted to talk about America's Holy Ground and America's Sacred Sites. Um, these are books that focus on the National Park Service sites and connect each uh, each one of the national parks and 50 of uh, additional National Park Service sites to uh, values and um, themes that, that tie into our spiritual and religious lives. And so uh, Bruce Barkower and I co-wrote uh, these two books together. Uh, first one, America's Holy Ground, uh, was published in 2019, uh, and it has every national park, all 61 of them that were <laughs> that were existing at the time, plus two more online uh, that have been for the ones that have been created since then. So whether it's Glacier or Yellowstone, Yellowstone is my favorite. Uh, or Grand Teton, or Rocky Mountain, or Black Canyon and the Gunnison, whatever. 
uh, each one of the national parks is in there. As I think about this, a year ago today, I was on vacation and we were we were at Mesa Verde this time of day. And to me, that's mm -hmm. that's a holy experience right there. The theme on theme on that one, I believe, is community. You know, when you're walking through Mesa Verde in these old you know, centuries old houses and thinking about the people who used to live there and thinking about what it was like to live in these remote places in this community on a cliff. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's, 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 it's mind boggling. So we, Bruce and I, as we, as we wrote these national park books, tied each of these parks to scripture uh, and then end each section with three questions that that reflect on that particular value. So, um, you know, how how has this shaped your life? How has somebody helped you recognize this in your life? And how are you helping others recognize this value in your life? And so, again, when we talk about utility and having books that are useful, it's a it's a devotional. It's, you think about how does this affect me and how does that transform me to help others. Uh, and we we did our our best to keep the book positive and thinking about ways that we can be supportive of others in our shared spiritual journey. Um, so yeah, that spiritual journey last summer, man. Now now that I'm thinking about Mesa Verde, um, you know, we I, I took my daughters uh, who at the time were 20 and 12 uh, on this national park. We had nine national parks in about 14 days, so we were tired. But um, we saw some stuff that, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. It doesn't get much better than places like Mesa Verde and Zion and Arches and Grand Canyon. Um, those those are the places that that really stand out. Um, my daughter, my older daughter and I were talking about this actually just the other day. And she was like, we just I can't believe I've seen these places. And uh comparing them to some of the voyages she's had, she spent a couple of weeks in Italy as a student teaching this summer. And she's like, those are such completely different experiences. And I'm so grateful for both of them. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the national parks books um, have been a lot of fun to write and to talk about. Um, and we actually have another, Bruce and I are going to be lecturing at Chautauqua, uh, the, the famous uh, retreat center in Western New York in a couple of weeks. So I've been, I've been, but that's been my national park trip this summer is to be thinking about, how do we write that up and how do we translate all this? We recognize that when we are at a national park or when we are in nature or when we are somewhere out of our element, there are things happening that our brains don't process. But whether it's a change in diet, a change in sleep, uh, new experiences, new sensory input, um, the list goes on and on, we are somehow more receptive to hearing the divine talking in our talking over our shoulder um and national parks when you when you are prepared for one when you are in the right mindset that can be a transformative experience i think we all have those stories of of how um I, if you don't i hope you do soon uh, of how national park can really change the way you're you're thinking and acting and behaving um you know i back in 95 i was at, i was in yellowstone um in August of 95. And so earlier in the year, I had covered the Oklahoma City bombing, which was a really, um, a really dark, dark event. Um, and I was questioning, is this, is journalism still something I want to do? And at the end of a long day, I found myself um, outside at the main lodge in, near Old Faithful. And I just kind of started wandering around, just trying to clear my head and get some fresh air because you know, it's 50 something degrees in August. Who, who Who's not going to try to do that? 
the answer to that is not very many people. That was pretty dark and lonely out there. Um, and I ended up wandering over towards Old Faithful. And I laid down on a bench and I was looking up in the sky. And all of a sudden, I start seeing meteors. We were there during the Perseid meteor shower. I hadn't, I hadn't recognized this. I didn't know that that was going to be happening. But that's one of the most active meteor showers that Earth encounters each year. So I'm sitting here watching that. And then off in the distance, I hear, and it's Old Faithful going off. I'm sorry. God's talking to me in that moment. <laughs> God's telling me it's going to be okay. Um, you're, you've got challenges. You'll work through them. And I went back to Oklahoma and I kept working in journalism. And you know that has set me on the path that I'm on now. Uh, it, it can be something as mysterious as a meteor shower and a geyser going off in the middle of the night, or it can be something as um, ordinary as an insulting word to use, but commonplace is just staring at the Grand Canyon and recognizing our Lord is a mighty God <laughs> and can do amazing things. So that, that's been the fun part of America's Holy Ground and America's Sacred Sites. You're muted. I am muted. I love that. Uh, I'm snuggled in between two, three national parks, right? We're an hour and a half from Yellowstone, two and a half or three from uh, Grand Tetons and and three or so from the the southern part of um, of Glacier. And when my family moved up to Montana the first time uh, six years ago, left a, a, a really rough church and space and uh in in New Mexico and came up to Montana when it was on fire. I mean, everything was on fire, smoky ash. You, my parsonage was right across the street from the church. So, you know, 50 yards and just snot and eyes burning. I mean, it was just bad. And, yeah. uh, our first, uh, first weekend up there, we had a church member give us a receipt for Glacier said, Hey, we went up, you got seven days left on this receipt. You can go get in for free. Uh, stop unpacking boxes and just go take a break yep. and found ourselves sitting on the, on the, the beach of, of, of two medicine there in Glacier and just hurting, wounded, not sure. We had, my family had never been North of Denver uh, before we moved wow, to Montana. Okay. Yeah. And so we moved side unseen in a very short period of time, <laughs> very in the cover of night. Right. And so there was just a lot going on and collectively all five of us sat on that beach and took a very smoky breath in and out and just settled in and went, Oh, it's going to be okay. I mean, yeah. just had that release all at once and very much, uh, became a sacred site for us. Uh, Glacier to medicine in particular is very sacred space. Uh, and so, yeah, looking through your book. Yeah, that's, that yeah. is, that is hopeful and helpful and and something that I truly hope all people get an opportunity to experience sometime in their life because there's there's nothing better than getting to see our parks and um, the drives through and the walks and it just any place you can get no matter where it is just go go be present in that because something something happens there right the Holy Spirit's moving in that space. And you're right. I don't know. I don't know what it is about getting into parks and out into nature that makes us let our guard down and we're able to to listen and hear and and be in that moment as opposed to others. But there's something about it that that does that. I agree. There's no, there's nothing like it. And I'm I'm so lucky to live 12 miles from the probably the least national parky of the national parks at Gateway Arch. But I absolutely love the Gateway Arch. 
Yeah. Uh, I can't get down there often enough. Every time I drive around St. Louis, I've lived here 25 years. And there are certain roads that I know at this point I can see the arch and I will take my eyes off the traffic to see the arch. Yeah. 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 I, we, we, we got to go out into Yellowstone this winter in March uh, okay. and walking across the boardwalks, uh, three foot of snow on the boardwalks. You know, I've got pictures of my kids ankles at the top of the, <laughs> the guardrail. So you don't fall over. Uh, incredible. And nobody's there. I mean, it was just quiet and peaceful and cold. It was, it was awesome. Uh, there's just something sacred about being, whether it's Yellowstone or Glacier or the Arch or wherever you find yourself, pretty dang cool. You know, uh, uh, Brad, I know I know you live in St. Louis, uh, so I have to ask the question, you're a Cardinals fan, right? Some days more than others. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's been this a hard this isn't a grief podcast, guys. Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a graduate of the University of Missouri. I know pain and suffering. Um, <laughs> I, I was at the infamous fifth down. I was listening when Nebraska kicked the ball. Uh, I watched Tyus Edney go from one end to the other in four seconds uh, in the NCAA basketball tournament. So I have I have known my share of athletic sorrow. <laughs> yeah, this has definitely been a sorrow year. You know, Zach, we really should go on August 4th uh, to St. Louis because it's Paul Goldschmidt bobblehead doll day. Uh, and maybe by then, maybe they might have traded him by then. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that would be awkward, but yet it'd be a fun collectible to have uh, to our collections because um, they're playing the Rockies. Zach in the mornings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, you know, Brad, I don't want to take any more time. I'm very thankful for you and, uh, yeah. you know, agreeing to, to join on with us and, and talk with, to us today. Uh, it's been a good conversation. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before we, uh, you know, depart? Well, I'm, I'm grateful for, for the conversation. Uh, I'm grateful for the work you all do. Um, I think anytime we find ourselves thinking about the bigger picture, that's a valuable thing. Um, and I think, especially when we're finding ways to create a world that's more compassionate. Um, there is so little compassion um, compared to, you know, past years right now. And I think a lot of it's political, but I think political is also driven by religious right now. And so, you know, when we can find opportunities to be compassionate and to build bridges, that those are opportunities we've got to seize. Um, at the same time, we have to stand up to injustice. Um, and so I, you know, I, I would encourage it sounds so cheesy, but it's true. I'd encourage you, know, I'd encourage you to keep courage uh, and do what needs to be done, to say what needs to be said, keep your chins up and stay involved in, in the fight. Don't step away. Um, it can be exhausting, but catch your breath and get back in there when you can. So I appreciate the two of you and what you're doing and, and those of you who are tuning in on this. Keep it, keep it up. Good luck. Uh, and we appreciate what you're doing to make the world a better place. Yeah, thank you, Brad. We we appreciate the work that you 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 are doing and and that Chalice Press is doing, getting getting good and hopeful and faithful media out there and all the ways that you do and and elevating voices and and really really doing sacred work. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, it's we know it's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> we know, well, it, but it's on, on behalf of all the authors we work with. I mean, we're nothing without our authors. That, that just let's be clear about that. We're just we're an intermediary that's that's bringing these authors to the marketplace, mm -hmm. and so we're grateful for the work they do as well. I, I I can't state that enough. 
Absolutely. And we are too, because it's bringing voice to inclusion and in a bigger picture than any of us could could dream of. So uh, thank you for that work and uh, continue continue to do it well uh, and faithfully. We really, really appreciate it. Best. Thank you. Uh, so for our listeners, I uh, encourage you to check out Chalice Press uh, for uh, really good content. Uh, like I said, I uh, the seminary I went to uh, utilized a lot of Chalice Press books. There's a lot of good books and a lot of good authors. Uh, we'll have a link for uh, Brad's books for you to purchase and a link to Chalice Press for you to click on if you uh, are looking for some new items or uh, want a couple books to buy. Uh, but you can do all that at beardedtheologians.com. And we want to thank our listeners for listening. Don't forget to like and share and continue the conversations wherever you may be. Uh, so for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. I want you to subscribe and like this video. And put that thumbs, push that thumbs up. Thank you for listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share on all social media outlets. You can check out old episodes and more information at beardedtheologians.com. Thanks for checking us out.